Okay, so we are gonna we are gonna jump into Acts 27, and this is what we would call the shipwrecked chapter, right? Um, have you ever been in a shipwreck, like the li- a literal kind? Anyway, I mean, we we live in a community where there's water everywhere. There's probably several of you in the room that own a boat. I mean, I remember there was a there was a time I went out. A friend of mine got his first boat. And, and it was a small boat, and it was, it was pretty old, and he had done some work himself, which should have been an indicator to me. Uh, and we went out, and the, the, the engine failed. The engine failed, and we kind of get caught in the current. And it was interesting to me when he broke out the oars, like he knew the engine wasn't quite right. He's like, here you go. We're going to paddle for that shore over there. And that's not even the shipwreck, right? Like That's just like get to the shore. Uh, shipwreck, the wind, the, the, the waves, the storm of, of a shipwreck. It's just this, this big, in, intense thing. And that's the literal sense, but, but figuratively, have you ever been through a shipwreck? Have you ever been in a moment in life where you're like, oh, that, my, my dream is over. That goal isn't quite achieved. Maybe, maybe it's it's part of unhealthy thinking where you're, le- you're feeling like you're out of control or dr- just being driven by wind and waves. Maybe it was a relationship that got shipwrecked, a friendship. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe there was just a habit in your life that got a little bit out of control. And I would venture to say this. I would venture to say that if you have lived enough life, you've been in some kind of a shipwreck. And whether it was because of your own doing or something that was done to you or some kind of a circumstance or situation, you live enough life, you've been in a shipwreck or two. And so that's why we've titled this, this um, the message today is how to survive a shipwreck. It's a little bit of a how-to. Um, so we're going to jump right into Acts 27. And we're going to jump in uh, at verse 9. If you've got your Bible on your phone or with you, it's also going to come up behind me. But I want to set the stage a little bit. So Paul, in the last chapter, in chapter 26 of Acts, he went before King Agrippa, and there were charges brought against him, and it was going okay. But ultimately what he did in that trial is he appealed to Caesar. Because as a Roman citizen, he could do that. And he had that right. So he appealed to Caesar, and they were like, all right, put him on the next boat, going to Rome, off to Italy, okay? And so there was this Roman officer named Julius. He and his entire regiment were put in charge of, uh, of Paul. And, uh, of course, Luke was there. Luke's the writer of Acts. Uh, Luke was on the boat, too. You see the pronoun we used in this chapter. Uh, and there were a number of other prisoners as well. And so they set, set off, and it was a little slow going. And then we're going to jump into verse 9 here. And I will read, I'll read starting in verse 9. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and to the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens, which is where they were, was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and a northwest exposure. 
So I have to say, first of all, you can kind of understand where they're coming from. In the winter, I'd rather be in Phoenix, too. I mean, you, you, you take Paulsville, you take Phoenix, I'd rather, rather be. <laughs> but we see, we see this journey beginning. And I, I also thought it was just, it was a little interesting to see, you know, Paul, who's, you know, prayerfully going, like, give, give every thought to God. This is the guy that is, is prayerfully considering each movement, each day. And he's going, like, guys, this, this doesn't look like it's going to turn out. And they're kind of going, well, you're in chains, and you're a tent maker, so I'm going to listen to the captain, and we're going to sail. And so that's exactly what they do. So we're going to jump to verse 18 as what's called a northeaster. It's referenced even here. A northeaster, this typhoon-strength storm comes up, and we're going to jump right into the middle of verse 18. That should come up. Yeah, we got it as well. The next day, as gale-force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began to throw cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. All hope was gone. Some of, you, some of you know a little bit about my story. I've, I've spoken a couple of times, and you know that part of my story is that when I was 12 years old, my dad was diagnosed with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, there's no, there was no known cause, no cure. Even to this day, there's no known cause, no cure. So he was diagnosed when I was 12. When I was 16, he passed away. And you can imagine, that was, that was, a, huge, that was a huge loss. I was close with my father. He was, the, he was the coach of the baseball team. He was involved in the community, uh, a great, great leader in the community and in our family. And when in experiencing that loss as a 16-year-old, really my only or one of my only thoughts was, what do I pivot to here? And, the, and another passion in my life at the time was baseball. Baseball. And that, that my dad gave me too. Like I said, growing up, he was, he was like the little lead coach and uh, I, in fact, I don't even remember being asked if I wanted to sign up for baseball. That's kind of how much of a baseball family we were. Like, I don't remember that even being a conversation. Do you, how about baseball? No, it was just baseball. And, uh, and so I just, I pivoted at that moment. You know, when you're, you're looking for something to grab onto in that moment of loss, and I poured myself into baseball. I would literally come home after practice and take a rubber ball. There was a block wall at our house, and I would throw, my, continue to throw myself to ground balls until dark. I would go to the batting cages until my hands were blistered and even to the point of bleeding. I was that kid. I was that guy on the team. I was first to practice, and I was last to leave. And as I was leaving, I was like, Coach, can you, can you hit me with just a couple more ground balls? Like, I was that kid. In fact, I was the kid on the team, and I don't know if there, this kid is around, but, like, I wrote a contract with myself. <laughs> Me and myself wrote a contract down, and I was like, hey, this is what I'm committing to. I'm committing to getting up early. I'm committing to two practices a day. I did that. I wrote that with myself. Like, that, that's how much I poured myself into baseball. And, and in high school, ended up doing, doing really well. I, I uh, captained the team. Uh, and I'll, I'll say myself because no one's here to debate. I was the best player on the team. Um, and, uh, and ended up getting a couple of offers to play Division I baseball. And I ended up selecting going to play Division II baseball because it was a really good baseball program. 
ended up going to University of Play, and, and even that team ended up going to the Division II World Series two out of my four years. So it was a great, great in, incredible experience. But one of the things that I realized when I got to college, the collegiate level of athletics, I looked around and, you know, coming in with this dream of playing collegiate baseball and then pro, playing pro baseball. That's how much I was pouring myself into this. But I got to college, and I was like, I looked around, and I was like, oh, you were the best player at your high school, too. And you were the best player at your high school, too. And all of a sudden, I was a pretty average player. <laughs> I was pretty average. Um, it was average on a good team. And, I, you know, I had this collegiate career. But I remember specifically. I remember specifically the last game. I remember specifically my last at bat. I'm facing, a, you know, it was a left-handed pitcher. He was throwing pretty hard. He was throwing the low 90s. And I remember, I was down in the count, two strikes in the count. He threw an outside fastball, and I swung and I missed. I struck out my last, my last at bat in my collegiate career. At least I didn't look. At least I didn't watch it go by, right, Pete? Yeah, at least I didn't watch it go by. But I remember being in the dugout after that game. And I remember the realization that this dream was over. I remember taking my spikes off for the last time. Now, look, there was an illustrious career ahead of me with co-ed slow-pitch softball. You know, that was great. That was ahead of me still. But as far as my dream to play professional baseball, it was ending. It was ending in that dugout. And what I realized at that moment, to only a small degree and a greater degree later on, was that everything that I was steering my life by was gone. My dad, who was giving me advice, who was giving me direction, helping me along, was gone. This thing that I poured everything that I had, every ounce of energy that I had in was now gone as well. And it was that moment of being directionless, of being driven by wind and waves. And if we go back even into verse 18, right? The next day as gale force continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing over cargo. The following day, they threw over ship's gear. And one of the things that I'm noting here is in the last verse there, the terrible storm arranged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars. Well, that's what they would have navigated by. So they're being driven along directionless. And it's, it's interesting to note here as well, what did they start to do? They started to realize, we got to get rid of some stuff. So... Again, how to survive a shipwreck, the first point that, I, that I'm making here is we got to let some stuff go. And if I look back at Jason in that dugout, there was a mindset that I needed to let go. That what I achieved, whether in sports or in my job or otherwise, was my worth. Those two things I had made one, they are not. They are separate. That needed to go. I needed to jettison that. And there are other things as we go throughout life that we just, we need to let go of some stuff. I mean, in some, some cases, it's, it's resentment. It's just finding some forgiveness in our hearts. We've got to let that go. It's weighing the ship down. We're never going to get where God has us going with that in tow. For some of us, it's actual stuff, right? The Bible tells us where our where our uh, treasure is, our heart is also. For some of us, it's like, man, that stuff, what's in my garage, that's, uh, that matters a lot to me. 
Sometimes we just got to let that go. We got to let that go. For others, I think it's just this. It's simplicity. It's, it's, it's simplifying life. It's putting first things first and going like, your, your life is just too full. I've got to let some things go to be my healthiest here. One of the things that I noticed about verse 18 also is that they didn't know where they were going, but they knew that that stuff couldn't stay. They didn't know where they were going, but that stuff couldn't stay. So we're going to continue on here in verse uh, 22 through 26 and see how the rest of this, uh, rest of this journey goes. 22, actually in 21, I just have to make a quick note here. It's really interesting because in 21, Paul's addressing everybody on the ship and he starts by saying, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left for Crete and you would have avoided all this damage. It was a, it was a holy I told you so. So you get one of those. You just, just as a note, put that in your back pocket. You get one, you get one to, I told you so. But we're going to pick up in verse 22. Paul addresses everyone. He says, take courage, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Even though the ship will go down, for last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So, take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. He's like, but let me be clear. We will be shipwrecked. <laughs> it's interesting to see Paul's demeanor versus the rest of what's going on there, isn't it? I mean, sure, he has an angel show up. But we, we see Paul's character all throughout both this chapter and beyond of him consulting God, him asking God, him being in the spirit and going like, I need to be connected to God. Otherwise, what's going on around me will sway me. I'll be driven by wind and by waves. And it brings me to, the, to our, second, our second point here is, which is listen for God's voice in the storm. I think it's such a natural thing when we are in the storm or we are shipwrecked on the rocks for us to go, man, this hurts. To focus inward to focus down, to focus on what is going on in our lives. And yet we see Paul going like, no, 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 God's got us. God's got a plan here. He's a redeemer. He's a savior. He's king. We see this contrast, and, um, and it's, it's especially true in, in the most difficult times in our lives. And uh, I wonder this, have you ever gotten a, uh, a really good birthday present? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, 16, I got the car. You know, I, oh, when I, when I turned 40. I want to just tell you a story, and, and it'll tie right in. You'll see. It's a little bit of a long journey, but I'll get there. Trust me on this one. So 29 years old, uh, Monica and I were married uh, for, for a couple of years. In fact, when we got married, we moved to the Middle East which my mom would have called insanity. She was like, what are you doing? So I had gotten a contract with this uh, large event called the Asian Games. It's like the Olympics except for Asia, but it was hosted in Doha, Qatar in the Middle East. And so Monica and I were like, adventure, let's go, we're going. And so we saved up all our money while we were there. We moved back to the United States and we, 
we bought a house, and soon thereafter, she was pregnant with our first, our, our first little girl. And it was one of those moments in life where I was trying to start a business. There was a kid on the way. We just got this mortgage going, and it was getting choppy to, to keep the analogy going. There were some waves. There was some wind. I didn't know, exactly know where things were going. And I was working construction on the weekends. And I remember specifically, I was, turn, 29, I was turning 30. I came home after work. I was like, Monica, we'll do something in a minute. I'm just going to lay down and take a, a quick nap. And I had this dream. I had this dream from the book of, I think it's Mark, where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. And a, a storm comes up. And, the, and there's wind and there's waves and the disciples are going crazy. And Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping underneath the boat. And it looks like the ship's going to go down. And they're going, they're going nuts. They're like, what's going they, they think they're going down. In my dream, I was on that boat. I was on that boat. It was clear as day. I was, I was under the deck with Jesus. In fact, I remember specifically the feeling of, of seeing, like, Jesus laying there sleeping, and, and we were just below deck, and I could see the disciples' feet up on the deck. They were running around, and I had this feeling of, like, I'm not a sailor. I don't know what to do. I wanted to help. But that anxiety of, like, seeing something and not being able to help or not knowing what to do, that's exactly where I was. And then there was this moment where I turned around, and I looked at Jesus sleeping, and it was perfect peace. It was perfect peace. And, and then I woke up. It was the best birthday present I've ever gotten. Honestly, that dream, I, it, it stuck with me. That feeling of peace. That feeling of just, and, and he didn't even speak. It was just the voice of God. It was the feeling and the peace of God. And that's what, I feel like that's what Paul's, Paul's doing here. It's like he just, he, he's listening for the voice of God. He knows what that peace is like. Listen for the voice of God in the storm. We're going to jump back into verse 39. 39, and we're coming to, 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 the, to the end here. We're coming to the end of, of this ordeal. And in verse 39, I'll just read it. Um, when morning dawned, they didn't re recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut the anchors, they left them in the sea, then they, then they lowered the rudder, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officers wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out the plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard and make for land. The others held onto planks and debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely. Everyone escaped safely. One of the things that I think is so interesting here in this chapter, they jettisoned a whole bunch of stuff. Gear, things that were on the deck, anchors, everything. What's interesting about this chapter is none of those things were really recorded in numbers, say, except for one. 
and it says there were 276 people in the boat. You see, God is focused. He's in the business of people saving, not ship saving. And, and here we see everybody got to shore, even, the people, even, the, even those guys that couldn't swim. Like they had a way. They had a way. And it kind of, it kind of just brings me to my la- the last point that I'm going to make for today. And that is that God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. Remember, when we're in that moment, when we're in the wind, the waves, crash on the sword, that God can redeem. He is a redeemer. He is a savior. He can absolutely come through. In fact, and I, I, I hate to do this, I don't even know who's, uh, who's preaching next week, but I'm going to steal some of their thunder right now. I'm going to steal some of their thunder because it just makes this point so well. In the next chapter, the last chapter of Acts, so Paul, everybody shipwrecked on this island, there's an official on the island. There's people living on the island. There's an official. They greet all of these, these prisoners, the, 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 the soldiers, everybody. They host them. And you know what happens? Paul heals the sick on that island. God is a redeemer. Part of this story, you can't tell this story of the shipwreck without going, well, the people that were sick on that island, near death, I mean, it's, it describes one, but I mean, it's, it's as simple as in verse 28, and again, I'm jumping ahead, I'm taking someone's thunder next, year, next week. It says, then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed, all. I just, I just encourage you, as we go through the shipwrecks of life, as we go through the storms of life, that we remember that we serve a God that is a redeemer. He is king. That he is worthy to be called savior. That he is ultimately worthy to be called Christ. Would you stand with me as I, as I pray for you today? God, you are so good. You are king. You are alpha and omega. You know us and have known us since before we were even born. God, would you guide us through the turbulent times of life? Maybe through the times that we've already gone through and we're still navigating how we feel about what has happened and how to deal with what has happened. Or maybe there's something that we're in the midst of right now. God, would you help us navigate it. Would you help us keep our eyes in those moments on you? God, would you sustain us through these times when we can't see the sun, when we can't see the stars, where we can't see the shoreline? God, you have made us promises, promises that are true, to never leave us, to never forsake us. God, we hold those tight. Would you remind us? Would you give us great faith, God? Would you help us to remember who you are in our lives? Would you give us courage in those moments? In Jesus' name.